Good afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 113 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm Hannah Flint. And I'm Amon Woman. This week, we suit up to follow Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> While Amon speaks to its stars, Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, and Daniel Kaluuya. While we also confront the boogeyman in Rob Savage's new horror and face up to reality in Tina Satter's true-to-life take on the NSA employee who leaked crucial information to the U.S. public about Russian interference in the 2016 elections. Plus, in our hot take, (laughs) we take a swan dive right into those Spider-Verse spoilers and try to guess what might lie ahead for one Miles Morales. So, um, I mean, Hannah, you're feeling feeling poorly. I'm sorry. I know. It's, no. it's actually just like very rude that I can spend a week away feeling great and then come back to England and just be absolutely ruined. Um, fuck you, England. <laughs> Welcome fuck back. Fuck you. I know. Yes, England. <laughs> fuck you, England. Um, you know what's funny though? Because I was supposed to. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, we were going to do it later because I was going to go see Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I felt too ill to leave the house, so instead. I watched it at, uh, at home. Have you noticed that, like, did John Williams do Star Wars? John Williams did Star Wars as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. There is, like, a certain, like, line that is exactly the same as the <laughs> Layla, <laughs> the um, Leia and Harrison Ford. Yeah. It's exactly the same. I've, I've, like, I mean, I'm not the first one to notice this, obviously, because I'm on, like, oh, here we go. But, like, do we know? <laughs> I mean, I feel like anything I could, of all the things I could have said about Raids of Lost Ark, that's the most <laughs> offensive thing I can bring up. We're only talking about the greatest composer of all time. But it's true, right? It's basically the same motif. They are quite similar. There's like a one note at the end of it where it goes like maybe down instead of up. Well, because I think it's John Williams's like notion of like old school romantic thing and that must sound similar to him. In the same way that directors may repeat certain shots when they're trying to evoke the same emotion. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming to John Williams' defense. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let him off. He was was like, I got shit to do. Marion, Leia, they're basically the same character. Fuck it. If you're not going to write a better character, I'm not going to write a better score. (laughs) I mean, they kind of are. (laughs) Amon, what have you been up to apart from watching Spider-Verse? I have been uh, watching some season finales, uh, series finales of some popular TV shows. Of course, Succession uh, ended a few days ago with an incredible finale. Uh, Really going to miss that show and miss those actors uh, firing just A++ dialogue at each other. It's a very sad ending, but I think it did something special in pulling off something that felt surprising, but also feeling right for the characters and the world that they inhabit. So I love that. And then there's also the series finale of Ted Lasso. Uh, This season was not as strong as the first two, especially the first one. Uh, The first season was incredible. But I still found a lot to enjoy, uh, lots of inspirational speeches and characters who I've really come to know and love over the course of three seasons. So yeah, I'm going to miss that show too. And that leaves a couple of gaps in my TV viewing slots that I need to fill. So any suggestions, hit me Ted up. Ted Lasso really is like 
like the sorbet <laughs> between good meals, <laughs> right? Because you mentioned, because I just feel like it's just like so ridiculously quaint and light. And also I feel like it's like, it's like the West Wing in a sense of, let's do this idealized version of what a football club could look like the same way the West Wing's like, let's do an idealized version of what a democratic presidency in the nineties noughties would look like. Yeah. It's romantic. It's so, it's so overly romantic. You go into any locker room, <laughs> any football club locker room, it would not be like this at all. And I suppose in a way it's like watching <laughs> Ted Lasso after you watch a show like succession where it's like biting it's, and all these like really like yellow jacket and all these things are like, Oh, last of us. And then you're like, Oh, I need like I just I need like the Ted Lasso just to kind of lighten the mood a bit, like something that I don't have to actually think too hard about. And that's not <laughs> being too harsh on it. That's saying sometimes you just need a show like that <laughs> to kind of just palate cleanse. Yeah, palate cleanse is the word. And yeah, I'm gonna miss those characters. Clarice, remind me, do you watch Succession? I gotta finish Game of Thrones first. <laughs> I can't take Fair on enough. more than one big critically acclaimed show at once how far into game of thrones are you now <laughs> i'm in the final battle of season five and they are all sailing away from the wildling village and the night king was like oh hard home oh that's a great episode yeah bitch i got you <laughs> um yeah i enjoyed that episode a lot um i miss oberon but you know <laughs> such is life pedro is dead to me <laughs> would you like to tell the good people why you think that's the case because i and i know maybe i'm being a bit like i know this happens but as a as a journalist when you're doing an interview and you're doing a feature a big why are doing feature on what is it like to shoot the mandalorian season three right when the lead star <laughs> tells you all this stuff about going to set in the suit blah 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 and then like a few months later goes ah I, I, I wasn't really there. I didn't really do it. And I don't mind that he didn't do it. It's just that he lied to me. And I feel like I reported that as fact. And it just frustrates me a little bit. I feel like you could have said that in the interview. And now you're just like fucking around and say it now. It's not like the end of The Mandalorian. It's not like we're going to not have more Mandalorian out, outings. So I thought we connected, Pedro. <laughs> I thought we were Zoom friends. I showed you my Grogu. But you know, he's such a people pleaser that he was letting people put their thumbs in his eyes. So he probably he's disappointed me more now because I was lied to. So if, you, if I see you on these streets, Pedro, you better walk the other way. Let it be known that Pedro Pascal has made a dangerous oh enemy out of Hannah Flint this day. You know what? I don't need stunt doubles to wear my suit. Oh my God. I would like to say I'm not a part of this beef. <laughs> well, I went to London Comic Con, MCM Comic Con this weekend, where I saw a lot of people dressed up as Miles Morales. Yes. I saw some Gwens. I saw a very good Spider Punk, which makes me feel like a lot of people were excited for Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, which is the first movie that we are talking about today. Oh nice my god, segue, roll the trailer. No notes, no notes. My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider Man, and things are going great. Oh yeah, you were supposed to be here at five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. What? Ever? So 
are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> it's not funny. Don't, don't do that. Miles's grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying to Mira, that's why I'm sick. I gotta go. All right, everybody. Bye. He's lying to you. And I think you know it. I don't know the lyrics. Same as Miles. Let's no. Let's just stop the podcast now and rewatch Into the Spider-Verse because it's just that good. No? Okay. Let's proceed. Uh, Talking about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of Spider-People charged with protecting its very existence. However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other Spiders. He must soon redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves the most. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. It's written by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and David Callahan, and it stars Shamik Moore, Hedy Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Nuno Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, Karan Sony, Daniel Kaluuya, and Oscar Isaac. What a cast. Um, and I got to speak to three members of the cast. Uh, I speak, of course, of Hedy Steinfeld, Daniel Kaluuya, and Shamik Moore. Uh, that's Spider-Man, Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Woman, Gwen, and Spider-Punk, Daniel Kaluuya. Mm-hmm. Very excited to talk about that character in particular <laughs> in just a few minutes' time. Uh, but yeah, they were in London to promote the film, and it was really, really cool to catch up with them, uh, because as you're about to find out, I kind of liked this film. And I kind of liked this chat as well. Haley, Daniel, Shamik. I'm on. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the Playback Podcast. Daniel Kaluuya, Hedy Steinfeld, Shamik Moore. Uh, thank you so much for this film and for spending time with me today. Uh, to start with you, Haley and Shamik, uh, I'm going to start where the film starts. Let's do things differently this time. It's your second go-around with Spider-Verse. Did you find yourself uh, going into the film with a different process in that first day back in the booth for this one? Uh, yeah, I was excited to get back in the booth and, um, mm. you know... <laughs> Okay, let's do this one more time. <laughs> it was probably one of the first lines that I did, actually. No way. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so. Honestly, honor. now that I think about it, kind of, same. <laughs> Which is funny, because you're, you're in there and you're like, let's do this one last time. But then mm. little did we know we'd record that line for the next four years. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Um, but, yeah, amazing to come back and, and you know, dig a little mm. deeper this time. Let's around. do things again one last time. And again one last and time. And a hundred more times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Dan, what were your expectations going into the booth for the first time and how did that match up against reality? I had no expectations. I, I was just so interested in the process. Mm. You know I mean, and getting to know this process, what it's like, and kind of like not, out of my comfort zone in terms of like not being able to control anything. <laughs> 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 and then he's just like, all right, cool. Like, let's see how it goes. But also, I was really excited to work with, like, Kemp, Finn, and Chris, man. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm such a fan of their, like, I love their films. Mm-hmm. So, um, just to kind of see how they work, how they think, and then bounce ideas with them was just, that's, 
I mean, on the craft one, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, uh, they are very good at what they do. Yeah. Uh, Gwen's world in this film, the animation is incredible. Mm. I'm wondering how much of that you knew about before you sort of going into the building. Does the knowledge of what it looks like having again done the first part of us help with your performance at all? Absolutely. Uh, so the the only sort of I didn't get too much of a visual mm. uh, look at it, but a verbal articulation. Um, Kent Powers basically explained it to me as Gwen's world will look like a mood ring. Um, and it, it sort of like at, right then and there, I, I, I understood what he was talking about, but it wasn't until I like then got a first look that I was like, please God, let me go back in. And, and so I feel like I can match what they've done because it just is so beyond any expectation I could have ever had. Mm. Uh, it is truly so stunning. And, and um, yeah, I love, yeah. I love Gwen's world. Yeah, right? Crazy. Yeah, no, I think I saw it described in one of you as sort of mood synesthesia, which I think is a perfect description for mm. it. It's just incredible. Totally. Um, question for all of you. What is the most memorable or useful bit of voice direction that you've received doing this? I think it was... Uh... They, and they. Sometimes I'll try to put on the mouse voice, like mm. by intentionally raising my register and whatnot. And I feel like they're like, no, just kind of talk in a way that's just normal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then mm. let it like. They kind of just directed me to be as natural as possible. Mm. And and when I was forcing it, it was like, nah, let's try it again, you know. So mm. I think. I think that was one of the most memorable things for me is just like uh, em embracing the connection, the yeah. honesty in the character. Um, I think Michael Kemp did a uh, one night in Miami in London. Love that film. And uh, <laughs> and it, as a play, and then he uh, he got really into like Black British culture, and then he was just kind of like Daniel, just do that. <laughs> he was just like all those words, yeah. do that, please. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Hollywood film, my guy. Like mm. he's like, yeah, no, no, like, <laughs> do that. And it's, it's kind of like they were like, what would you say in that situation? What mm. what's real? There was yeah. just um, a kind of obsession about authenticity that yeah. like I just respected. Yeah. I mean, you kind of like sometimes you're even scared to even do it because you're like, would people understand? But they were like, mm. no, we'll make it work. We'll make mm. it work. And it was just like, yeah. keep 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 going for what's real, and what's authentic. So I that love was that great guidance. Took the time to. Uh, and to explain what Scooby-Doo means. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> some people won't get it. I did, but it was great. Um, I'm imagining, you said you've recorded this over four years, which is wild to me. There's a number of outtakes which haven't made it in. Is there anything <laughs> that we can look forward to on a potential blooper reel that oh didn't make it <laughs> I don't know. I, whoever's job that would be to make that would be <laughs> probably so hard because there's so years much. Years of it, yeah. Uh, years of it. Um, I don't know. I was really looking forward to just seeing what what did make it into mm -hmm. the film. There is so much. Uh, it, it it feels like such a collaboration when you're in the booth. It, it there's so much freedom to to be creative, and mm -hmm. and there's so much trust uh, that you know. It's so cool to hear that that's how that's how the experience was for you. Whatever's authentic to you, and you know, it's about what what we can bring as well on top mm -hmm. of what's already written, which is already incredible. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just looking forward to what what did in fact make it into the film. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good stuff. Clearly made it into the film. Um, <laughs> Miles is railing against 
the supposed Spider-Man hero arc. I found that to be very interesting. I assume at various points you've been advised about what to do for your career, if you want a career to go a certain way. Is there any suggestion that you've been given that you've held against for the better? Sure. Um, that's a, I think I'm, mm, that's such a tough question. I think people, I think I do what I feel is best for me. And that's mm-hmm. probably not always the, the right thing. Uh, but then again, this movie says that it is. Mm-hmm. And I guess if I live in the moment, I think everything happens for a reason. So I guess the point is everybody thinks that they, they know what is best for us for you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And I think the only person that really knows is you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's the, the real task is to be open to, like you can't be a know-it-all and be mad if somebody else is a know-it-all. You, mm-hmm. you can know yourself and be open to learning, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's an important part. Same for you. That's my own career, isn't it, really, Sean? Yeah. Like, um... Yeah, people told me to do things. I was like, oh, I don't want to do it. Like, I, just, like, I think it's um, like a like support what she meets. I've just gone from feeling right and go mm-hmm. what feels right, yeah. and and then mm-hmm. and actually and actually I've learned from my mistakes and when I betrayed that, and I've mm-hmm. done things that didn't feel right. And I listened to other people and then I realized mm-hmm. I have to live with it. Mm-hmm. Like I have to yeah. do it. So then whenever I listen to people and I'm like, well, you're not there mm-hmm. with me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, I have to genuinely live this. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, like, obviously, like, it's not, re- I'm like a new thing. So, a lot of people think I couldn't do what I've done mm-hmm. my whole career. I just don't believe them. So, I just do what I want, really. You know what I mean? And I just live like that. Yeah. Feels like it's going well for you. So, all right. But you have to stay focused, well. Like, you have to stay focused. Like, it could go away like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, to be real. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. if you, Get complacent. It go. It actually, it's a bigger fall. It's hard to get back up when you've actually been out there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, it's it's just to keep doing what you're doing. Like a, a footballer doesn't stop training. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like just keep doing what you're doing. Show up to training. Just keep doing your thing. Show up to games. Like. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really relatable about both Miles and Gwen in this movie, I think, is that wanting to feel acceptance and that sense of belonging to be around people who get it. Do you have that sense of belonging to the acting community and when was the first time you felt that, if so, Hale? Um, I, I do. Uh, I think when I was younger, I was um, always very, I don't know, I had all of these like quick sort of interests. They wouldn't last very long. I was really, I was looking for that sense of home and that sense of belonging and mm-hmm. um, I, I could never find that in anything. And I think I, I I have sort of found a sense of that with, with acting. I feel like, you know, you, you get to walk away with a family, every, every project you work on. I've been lucky enough to feel that way anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely feel that. And I think you're right about that with Gwen. I think we find her and leave her looking for that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to say that the band she ends up with is a, Cooler than a banshee starts. I agree. <laughs> very excited for being inspired by. I've got a question that I'm very intrigued by because you guys have obviously done voice work here and you've done voice work in the past. When you do more of it, do you pay more attention to your voice in live action and how you can modulate it, having done, having focused so solely on it in a film like this? Does it impact the other? Impact what? Doing live action? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think like, 
like, yeah, because you're like, how do I tell, how do I convey this emotion like this? Mm. Shit, the way I ain't got my face, ain't got my eyes, ain't got my this, ain't got my body language, mm. just this. So yeah. then obviously now you're just a bit more aware, a bit more attuned, but you can't, when you do live action, you can't focus on it too much, then that would be weird. Right. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's a way to kind of like, just think of layering, yeah. mostly. Awesome. Smooth thing for you. Yeah, I would say the same. I think, um, yeah, I, I would say the same. You can't focus on it too much, though. <laughs> but it is uh, wild how I think I may have had a misconception of voice work in the beginning of all of this um, and felt like there was this rather unnecessary need to overcompensate because I didn't have the rest of me. Mm. Um, but what was so amazing, uh, and you touched on this earlier, is that the the filmmakers involved really pushed us to be authentic and and um, natural, as natural as possible, so. Yeah, it absolutely comes through. There's been a lot of talk about potentially bringing these characters into live action, which I'm very excited about the possibility of. If that happens, what's the one thing that you're very eager to try out in live action? Um, I would love to just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Get it. Do you want to, this? This is a this is a podcast. So I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> I right. just realized it. They uh, feel it. They feel it. <laughs> they know well, exactly. Listeners, he imitated removing the mask. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't. There's no other yeah. feeling. Yeah. Like just taking off that mask. Yeah. yeah. And seeing that on screen, I think. <laughs> I think. Yeah. 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 Would you learn to play guitar? I knew you should know how to play guitar. Oh. Yeah, I used to do, I used to produce beats and stuff when I was like 13 and 14, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so then like, uh, it'd be good to get back to that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then I used to play, um, was it Love Me Tender? I used to know that off my heart. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then so it'd be cool that I'd play a bit of the rock Elvis. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know, like, it, whatever's right for the story, man. Like mm -hmm. if I'm in, I'm in it, I'm cool. If I'm, in it, I'm a fan, bro. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. try and watch it and I'm in it, cool. If I'm not, cool. Yeah. Uh, I love this film so much, and I love this conversation. Daniel, Haley, Jamik, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much, man. Appreciate it. So, into the Spider-Verse, I think one of the big things that it was lauded for was the animation, uh, which was very much bringing the world of the comics to life in so many different cool ways. With And with that animation, you can see how it impacted the other animated films we've seen in the in the interim there's been so much that i've seen whether it be arcane or even puss in boots the last which was, was my favorite film of the year until very recently um have taken their cue from into the spider-verse and now with across the spider-verse it feels like the filmmakers took the challenge to up the ante again and i think they've done that going into multiple universes and having a different animated palette for each of the universes I think that's very, very impressive. I especially loved Spider-Gwen's world. Uh, so we're going to get into more detail on that in a second. But what did you think of the animation, Clarice? Yeah, I it's by far my favorite thing about this movie. And it's very impressive, as you said, that they, they kind of outdid themselves with this. And they proved that what was revolutionary about Into the Spider-Verse wasn't just that they created this, like, here, we've replicated exactly what a comic book looks like on screen. It was that they said, look, we put together this animation team that are just capable of constantly pushing the boundaries. Uh, there's so many of the worlds that I just, I loved all the really, like, specific artistic 
inspirations i mean i mentioned in my review i don't know if it's because i went to see her exhibition recently at the tate modern but the gwen world at moments had these like abstract designs that felt very like hilma af clint who's the swedish artist um, <laughs> who like had hallucinations and shit and was delusional and we um, reviewed and a film that. called hilma a few months ago. We did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know if that was an inspiration, but there was like really, really I actually have a Hilma Athlint poster framed on my wall. Which actually, yeah. when you look at it, exactly it's there. It's the wall, it's kind of like the watercolours yeah. and the mood ring effect Pinks. of it where it really reflects yeah. her changing emotional state, the turmoil. It's really quite beautiful that. Yeah, and then in um is it Mumbatan? Yeah. Uh, like the colors in there are gorgeous there's like a lot of yellows and greens and it I reminded me a lot of a lot of like Indian commercial popular art I don't know enough about this subject to be more specific I'm very sorry but uh, like movie posters and street art uh, and you can just tell that they did their research and I love it when a movie does its research <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can tell they had a... when they do a little google <laughs> you can tell they had a lot of fun with bringing in various artists and comic book artists as well as like visual artists to create a clearly clear visual identity for each one of these worlds um, and I think you know you mentioned before one of your pit you found was one of the pitfalls of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was um, how little time we spent in the actual kind of exciting mm-hmm. areas, Clarice. I think that was one of the points you made. And I, and I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. was definitely like, Dinosaur this was like the everything everywhere all at once, like school of let's go mad. Um, I really mm-hmm. like the Italian Renaissance um, use of uh, use for an early villain. I thought that was really fun. Um, I will say, I think, I mean, you know, it's an ambitious film, but I would have liked for, um, you know, them, not all the characters retain their animated style when they were in the world of Miles. They basically kind of shifted back to that very specific kind of uh, Ron Lichtenstein, that sort of very dotted sort of like, with like, especially Gwen. And I kind of wish that they, maybe have like kept that up maybe that was just too much work <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I think that would have been cool so they retain their identities in different worlds I mean they did with Spider-Punk he retains his and I love that it was kind of like mm. very zine pop like pop punk kind of not pop punk punk zine kind of like I, you know we've said like never mind the bollocks I love the fact that his guitar was kind of like it was like cut out it looked like it constantly changing shapes behind the backing of it as if someone like you know mm. cut out the bits and stuck it you know where you stick it down on posters and yeah it's great yeah no i completely agree with all that and i love that it's not just the visuals which have up their game it's also the score by daniel pemberton uh which in with almost each different location and each different prominent spider person introduced there's a musical theme to accompany that, which perfectly complements their identity. Um, from when we first head to Mumbatton, the Indian stylings are reflected in the music. Uh, Gwen has her own theme this time, which is really, really catchy, um, which I love that. Even the way in which the drumming, uh, which Gwen does right from the beginning of the movie, it's not just their for a simple drum scene, it's incorporated into the character 
in the in the storytelling. I think that is really beautifully creatively done. But let's talk about the storytelling as a whole and the themes that this one is looking to tackle. I really appreciated the fact that even though this is a story that is very much focused on Miles and has a very much of a focus on Gwen, it hits on something that's intrinsic to what to who being Spider-Man is for every Spider-Man that we see. There's a lot of Spider-People in this film. Uh, what did you make of the themes and Miles and Gwen's journeys in this film? Because that, for me, it was a lot to do with acceptance and finding your people, but also retaining your individuality. And I, I found that to be very inspiring. It's interesting. So I, for, through work, I have been writing a lot of like articles about the more spoilery details mm. and so a lot of trying to explain what happened and I I do have to say I really enjoyed this movie so this is a minor minor slander what <laughs> what I will not have I will not I mean, have Spider-Verse slander on this part <laughs> but the more I try to remember why characters did certain things I I realized that I think some of the tethers are not quite as strong as they might seem at first because I think the the visual beauty of it and the enthusiasm and also I think the the actual dialogue is very well and beautifully written in terms of uh especially how the parents talk to each other when they're mm. trying to figure out what the fuck is wrong with their son because he keeps disappearing <laughs> and he keeps looking like he's going to say something um but yeah, I don't, I, and I think this is probably a lot to do with the, this is part one of two, that mm -hmm. a lot of the questions that I have now will probably be answered in part two. But if you do that, it is going to make them maybe a slightly less satisfying. It's that spider woman, but <laughs> boat by King Ryan. <laughs> Jessica, Jess yeah, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, while I was actually watching it, I wasn't thinking so much about that stuff because the actual construction of it is so well done. I think it's more walking away from it now, trying to remember why one character was a vampire. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's an interesting tease for a future movie, but I get why... No, that's yeah. stuff I need to know now. You can't just walk in and be like, so I'm a vampire and a ninja, but you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm worrying about it right now. There's more to a certain character's story that is yet to be told. Uh, we're dancing around it. We might get into it. In, we might get into it in hot takes. To be fair, that's in one of the trailers. I don't think it's a secret, but we what? will not say who it is in case <laughs> you didn't watch that specific yeah. trailer. How did the story flow for you, Hannah? Um, I think the problem with, I suppose it's like kind of like the beauty, but also the problem with having a ridiculous about of spider people is that you have a repetitiveness of the origin story. And there was mm. several times we saw that go over. You know, and oh, this is like okay. Let's do this. Let's do this one more time. And actually, it was like several times <laughs> for several different characters. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was that that repetitiveness kind of made it feel quite long. Um, it felt longer mm -hmm. than it was, and and also I think again bloated with the amount of characters where some of them characters I thought I wanted a bit more time to understand them weren't afforded that. 
Um, you know, other ones were like, I really like Spider-Punk. I really like uh, Pavita, um, you know, but again, that kind of, I think, you know, the grounded humanity of, you know, the dual identity crisis, uh, the familial discord that we see play out between uh, Miles and his parents, Gwen and her father, voiced by Shay Wiggum, who I adore. Um, you know, <laughs> they do really get those emotional beats. Like, you really feel that heartbeat pumping. They really pump blood into it. But at the same time, I did find it a little bit, what you were saying, like, some of the threads were a bit thin and convoluted. And I was kind of like, the fact that it wasn't a cleat, like, any sort of resolution at the end of the film for any of it was a little bit frustrating for me. And I also feel like, you know, we've done multiverse has been, you know, flogged so much. And mm. I felt that a lot of the kind of narrative beats were similar to Loki with the time variance authority. Um, so, so yeah, so I was kind of like the meta narrative that was going on. I kind of get it, but I also was somewhat, I felt like it was so chaotic, like in a kind of great mm. way, animate aesthetically in the animation narratively I kind of was kind of like sometimes couldn't keep up yeah that's interesting I think I'm coming at this from a slightly different perspective in that I being such a fan of this film have seen it more than once I've maybe seen it maybe it's like a tenant maybe maybe it's tenant don't maybe I just like don't 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 try and understand it No, Tenet, it doesn't matter if I watch that film 30 times, I will still never fully understand that film because just it just, no, time Clarice, I'm sorry, time but no, that, they, no. I don't, that movie is not that complicated. <laughs> yes, it is. That. No way can you tell me exactly what is happening that final 20 minutes of that Gilla, film without everybody. What you're yelling for. Team Blue, <laughs> Team Blue and Red, they're going forward in time and the other team are going backwards in time. It's so, I, it's a pincer movement. I will do a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it's a temporal pincer movement, yeah. Yeah, uh, you do a pincer, they go from both sides of time. And you know who invented the pincer movement? Fucking Hannibal Carthaginians, my ancestors. They're very effective in, um, if you ever played Total War, I always used to do a pincer movement. You know what, I'm going to test this today, Chris. I'm going to watch Tenet with you I'm going to pause the last 20 minutes of various points so you can talk me through what is going on because I guarantee... Not even Christopher Nolan could keep track of what is happening in that panel is. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Spider-Verse. Um, let's talk Didn't about... I understand. <laughs> fine. Spider-Verse. Oh, Quite a little confused. Not super confused. That, that makes no sense to me. A little confused. <laughs> um... Let's talk about the performances. The cast of this film is absolutely insane in all the best ways. Um, I really like what Shamik and uh, Hayley Steinfeld do with their characters. Shamik especially. It's been five years, maybe even longer than that, since he first voiced Miles in Spider-Verse. And if you remember, that voice was quite young, quite high-pitched. To still get to that level, if a little bit mature, because it's a year and four months uh, that have passed in the movie world since from Into the Spider-Verse to Across the Spider-Verse, to get to that same pitch, to find that right cadence, I think is really, really well done. Uh, I really think that 
Hedy Steinfeld and also Oscar Isaac. How have we not really mentioned Oscar Isaac? He's really, really good. Uh, but How for me, <laughs> uh, Daniel Kaluuya. As Spider Punk, I love how London is. I love how the film takes a moment to explain what Scooby Doo means uh, for American audiences. But one of the many funny jokes in the film. But were there any performances that stood out to you, Clarice? Do I say Oscar Isaac? Because it's always, he's always good. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I watched the post-credit sequence from the first film as yeah. a very different vocal performance. But I like, I really enjoyed what he did in this. Which he's was also very different very frame. Serious. The man, the man has been to the gym since. Oh, this is they, they, <laughs> they knew what the audiences wanted. <laughs> um, you also, uh, Chris, sorry to cut you off, but you also uh, figured out something which I completely missed earlier this week. This is Oscar Isaac's third Marvel role. There's not been yes. many actors to have reached that Well, you know milestone. what? Actually, if we're going to get really technical, this is his fifth Marvel role. What? If you count Jake, Stephen, and Mark as different characters, which they are. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. kind of a technicality, yeah. but technically it's five characters. So. Sorry, you're saying yeah. Moon Knight, he's playing two characters? Three characters. Three. Three. Yeah, I don't know if he gets like a Guinness World Book of Records thing for mm. that. <laughs> You've mentioned Moon Knight, which means that I now have to do this. So Moon Knight, um, playing playing three characters in there. You're playing playing two characters in another Marvel film. So it's, it's, it's five, it's five, five in total. Yeah, okay, that's it's good. It's always interesting to me that you feel the need to remind everyone how bad your Moon Knight voice is. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like we could happily forget it, want, but then you're like, okay? no, guys, hear how that is. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you you start yeah, it and yeah. you get really self conscious. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll just pass it through. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Oscar Isaac, good, yes. Yeah. And I didn't actually say the serious point. I think because he's he is like the straight man character in the the entire movie, but I think his vocal performance is very good at still teasing out like the funny stuff of him not understanding jokes, um, which is quite hard. Hmm. End of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, who stood out to you? Uh, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya, obviously. I love the fact that they made hmm. Spider-Punk's punk so specifically. He's, you know, Daniel's a Camden boy. He uses Camden, Camden hmm. lingo. Like, I love the idea that people are going to be like, watching this and just be, what did he? Like, what did he say? And it's like, we know. <laughs> um, I think he has a, I think, you know, we forget that he started off in Skins playing Posh Kenneth. He was in like, you know, Johnny English Reborn. He's got really good comic chops. Um, and it mm. really felt... He was what? Yeah, he was in Johnny English Reborn. <laughs> yeah. He yep. was like the psychic. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's yep. like a good reminder that... Like, I remember because I did an interview for this for Empire <laughs> and I was like... We're talking about like, oh, you know, for Gritty Rose, it's like, everyone thinks I'm gritty. I'm not gritty. <laughs> it's like, I'm actually a lovely, funny guy. And it's great. And it's shoved <laughs> through. I really liked, um, as I mentioned, Shay Wiggum. I think him, he's just got such a beautiful, he's just such a good dad in this. And like, that's very specific sort of kind of like New York cop. And he nailed it. I love Luna Lauren Velez. I think she, mm. you know, I really like that she had a bit, I, 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 would, I would arguably a bigger part than, in the first film. I love that she mm. is really like, you know, 
the Aunt May, right? Like if you think about it comparatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she, you know, she's she's believable, she's real, and she grounds everything that what is what makes Peter Parker great, because actually, you know, it's always about oh, sorry, Peter Parker, but like Spider-Man. It's always about the secret mm. identity. The most important thing about Spider-Man is who they are underneath the mask. And 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 this normal human beings, and I think that was really great, and I think that shone through. I even like Rachel Dratch, who the minute she plays like a the counselor, a college counselor, and I was like, "That's Rachel Dratch. <laughs> I know who it is." <laughs> and it was actually just like perfect for that. There's quite a few SNL people in this, wasn't there? It was kind of boring. It's like, oh, okay, the Lonely Island guys all rep- represented. <laughs> Andy Samberg come through. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I think Nina Lauren Velez especially really stood out to me. Uh, I love how Latino this movie is. Um, you know, Miles is Afro-Latino. They've made no secret of that without sort of belaboring the point, um, which I like. Um, but it didn't feel like they had too many details pertaining to that in Into the Spider-Verse here. There's a lot more, especially at a certain party. Uh, you really get the feel for the community that Miles and his family are a part of. And I enjoyed that. Uh, there's more to say about Spider-Man colon across the Spider-Verse. But we shall do that in our hot take because now it is time for our screen, stream, or skip recommendations on the best film of the year. Chloe's. <laughs> I don't agree with the second part. Of <laughs> I kind of preferred Guardians. I'm really sorry. But don't yell at me. <laughs> I will yell at you after the part. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> but I will not be seeing it five times like I'm planning to with Guardians. Hannah, do you prefer Guardians over Spider-Verse? Guardians. I think it did a better job at telling the story. I didn't come away from it. I didn't come away from it. When I was watching Spider-Verse, across Spider-Verse, I did feel the runtime. With Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. I didn't. And I think for me, it was like, and again, you know, the difference is that's a concluding film, you know. But again, Mm -hmm. you know, comparing them anyway is kind of defeats the point of celebrating great films, right? Or good films that we like. So Mm -hmm. I refuse to get drawn into this. The sky is beautiful and forever. Whatever movie you're watching. Um, um, Just to get out late, it's a screen, obviously. But like, I was watching, I saw this thing on TikTok where, or not TikTok, maybe Instagram, but like, um, there was an interview with Mar- where Connie Chung, do you remember, like, she was interviewing Marlon Brando. And it's like, you know, they say you're the greatest actor of all, all time. It's like, I hate that. Like, who cares? Who's the great or the worst, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. You're just like, and I just think that's, I just felt very, very validated. <laughs> I was like, I agree mm-hmm. because it's kind of like, what does it matter? As long as we're enjoying it, you know, trying to compare different things and stuff like that. But, you know, my, but my will say, uh, try, yeah, so liked it, but I did, I found I enjoyed Guardians more. Interesting. Uh, it's a screen from me. Uh, I love this. This is my favorite film of the year so far. One last thing I'll say. And we love you for it. We support you in your love. We're Thank not... you, Clarice. Thank you. I appreciate the support. <laughs> I, I take it I take it to heart. I really do. Um, one thing that I will say, final thing, I promise, for now. If you look at it as Miles' story, and to a degree you absolutely should, I get why the ending cliffhanger may not fully work, but 
Gwen has a lot of focus in this film and the bookends of this film are very Gwen focused. And I think that gives it, at least for me, the feeling of a complete chapter, even though the story is still ongoing. So I like that. There's not that much Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse that scared me. That may or may not be the case for the next film we're discussing, The Boogeyman. It's all just in your head. travel close at hand you better pay attention now because i'm the boogeyman uh no one else knows what that is so i'm just gonna go cry it's from nightmare for christmas one of my favorite animated movies and i have gone to see it live Catherine o'hara was there it was so cool uh anyways <laughs> this is the boogeyman but not oogie boogie this is a different type of boogeyman there's lots of them there's a boogie bus high school student sadie harper and her younger sister sawyer are reeling from the recent death of their mother and aren't getting much support from their father will a therapist who's dealing with his own pain when a desperate patient unexpectedly shows up at their home seeking help he leaves behind a terrifying supernatural entity that preys on families and feeds on the suffering of its victims Inspired by Stephen King's short story of the same name, The Boogeyman is directed by Rob Savage with a screenplay by Scott Beck and Brian Woods of A Quiet Place fame and Mark Heyman of Black Swan fame. It stars Sophie Thatcher, Chris Messina, the best Chris, Vivian Lyra Blair, Minnie Leia, Marin Ireland, Madison Hugh, Lisa Gay Hamilton, and David Dastabachian. The best David? Maybe I haven't thought about it. <laughs> um, so I guess I want to start with kind of the two big artistic forces that are in this, which is the combo of Stephen King, who, you know, we know who Stephen King is, and also Rob Savage, who did uh, Host, and also Dashcam has been kind of a mini sensation coming out of the UK, now going off to do his first Hollywood movie. Um, you guys haven't read the short story, right? Um, so I, I'll explain. Information that. which I'm sure is shocking to you. <laughs> I mean, I only read it after I watched this movie, but um, Hannah, I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about like those two very strong voices and if that in any way elevated what the boogeyman is, which functionally, let's be honest, is that movie, that horror movie that comes out during the summer. Mm. And you know, there's always like three a year. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't read the short story um, and uh from what you've said though it's far more more disturbing than what we see in this and and i'm sure you get into like the kind of different like, narrative structure of it i think when you understand who uh rob savage is and what he's delivered so far he's the the screen what's the phrase 
life screen life screen horror life. basically so everything is witnessed through a computer screen or a dash cam uh the eponymous dash cam <clears throat> so i think i was ex- going into this there's none of that it's like the most conventional horror movie supernatural horror you could have and it's the- very safe um i it's you know generic i don't know if there's anything really that uh you know even a sense of humor i don't think it has that that i think rob has in his has shown before this feels like very much like supernatural horror paint by numbers for me yeah i agree i i would say you can feel it like a little tiny bit like i've described this movie as like economy plus on an airplane because there's a touch of that humor there's a touch of that Stephen king darkness but it is mostly that movie that comes out during summer and you watch and it's fine and then you don't really think about it ever again (laughs) i'm on i mean as and i was already saying as our resident scary cat (laughs) sorry but in a loving way Mm. um the thing is with the original stephen king short story i has a very dark end and it's also um about a very dark uh figure um but i want to ask you first off i mean did you were you scared by this the basic question but i feel like you're such a great measure of like how scary horror <laughs> you have to give like the official amon rating oh, God. Like, hands behind uh hands in front of eyes um yeah, annoyingly, <laughs> annoyingly, because it was so warm, I elected not to bring a jacket, a decision which I regretted because normally that's my go-to move, having my jacket just over my eyes and just with just that ready to be lifted at the moment's notice. Uh, I forgot, I did not have that to hand. So all I had was my hands and uh, Hannah, who was sat next to me, can attest that uh, my hands yeah. were above my eyes uh, on a number of occasions. <laughs> watching this movie uh, at times it worked at times it was like it doing not. like it was like doing like like uh in situ goggle box because like i was like watching him on <laughs> react and i kept on like just looking at him like with peripheral vision i was like how's he gonna react to this how's he gonna react i'm like it's actually really fun i really entertain him um it's a shame You're though welcome. but it didn't it didn't, it didn't it didn't fuck it, but then the, the best the best horror experience i've ever had with Amon is hereditary and it did not meet that threshold at all <laughs> no oh my God. hereditary is still one bad. of one the most disturbing I'm one of one scary i'm number one scary. <laughs> You're all one of one. You know this. Um, but yeah, um, definitely didn't reach Hellate level on disturbing or scary. But there's still a couple of moments in this that really, really got me that I think were really, really well, well crafted. Um, Rob Savage does a really good job of weaponizing darkness and making you think about what may be there, even if what may be there isn't actually there. I think that's very, very smart horror filmmaking. Yeah. It has like a, my favorite kind of scare is where, well, I'll describe the one in Insidious and there's some like this and that, you know, in Insidious where she's walking through the room and in the very corner of the frame is the little boy and he's just standing yeah. there and she doesn't react and the movie keeps going and you're like, there was, fun, there was something there, there was something there and then you get the actual scare. I think that's the best kind of scare there is. Yeah. And there is Insidious is like one of the scariest style. movies. I remember seeing it with my dad and us fucking shitting ourselves. That was so scary. 
just like crazy. I actually feel like I didn't want to watch the sequels because it was that scary. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. I shall never watch that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think before that, I've seen The Frighteners. That's a very scary film. But like funny, but really no. fucking scary. The Peter Jackson. Yeah. Film. Yeah. With my, is it Michael I J. Fox? Yeah, that's a great movie. movie. If it's it's scary, just assume that I have not seen it. It saves time. But there there was one particular scene that I was really, really impressed by on the filmmaking level. Um, It's when uh, the lead, Sophie Thatcher, I think her name name is Sawyer, goes to visit someone at a house. And sonically, what the film is doing, you don't realise it until a certain sound stops because a certain presence may have made itself known at that precise moment. And I didn't realize that the sound was even doing anything until it stopped. I thought that was really, really clever. Um, And really just using all the tools you can to heighten certain uh, sort of intense moments. I thought that was really good. Hmm. I mean, I guess I, I kind of, want to talk now about what i thought was maybe the weakest side of it which is so the short story is about this character called lester billings who uh is this fucking asshole he's an awful (laughs) man but he's talking to his therapist about how the boogeyman killed his kids and you spend a lot of the story going oh this guy did it and he's just coming up with excuses and then stephen king being stephen king is like no it's not it's the boogeyman's real uh (laughs) and what's so interesting to me is that this movie the lester billings character is played by david dasmalchian who is so fantastic and every time he turns up in a movie I like this style of movie you're like "Uh uh-oh something bad's gonna happen (laughs) um but the, that it starts with that character and then it moves on towards the Chris Vecina character, who's the dad, who is conventional horror dad, who's quite nice, but he's got some problems expressing his feelings. And Hannah, I wondered if you could maybe talk about this, because it's kind of a sister story and a sisters and their dad story. Did any of that work for you or was it very like Baba Babadookian? yeah but you know we've had this kind of we had the sisters thing a lot haven't we i think about it evil dead rises evil dead rise um what was the batshit crazy one james Wan with the thing on the back of her head malignant um like i feel like sisters (laughs) is such an overplayed situation and then the like the widowed widowed far like father who's like not really paying attention um, he doesn't like listen, you know, the foreshadowing is like, oh, if anything is, you know, grief, the <laughs> idea of like, as are the people leaving us looking over, like looking after us. I mean, they were very, this is, I, they are very good actors. And I do, I really like Sophie Thatcher. I've just finished watching like the finale of season two of Yellow Jackets and she's just so good. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. And, <sighs> I need to catch um, and I, you know, little princess Leia. Uh, <laughs> What's her name, Hannah? Lyra Vivian Blair. <laughs> Vivian Lyra Blair. In your opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? She does look like a Lyra. She does look like a Lyra. I kind of get why you get it confused. She looks like a Lyra, like someone called Lyra. 
Um, I, you know, she's spunky. I like that there's certain little moments that are great. And I do think they have heart. But I think, again, it's just very conventional. It's not for me doing anything that I haven't seen before. And it's not, you know, and and not even doing it better, I would say. Um, I mean, I do like the idea. I mean, again, it's like, what's the theme here? I think you, you know, for me, it's like fear, how we're constantly, like the fear of like how, and I feel like, I don't know, maybe because, and I the fact that he like threw in the Carl Jung, uh, Jung reference early on was like, oh, shadows up, fear, and how we don't <laughs> should let fear like guide us, blah, blah, blah um of course grief and yeah I don't know I, I personally it's like it's it's watchable but again this isn't something that I'll think about again after we finish this podcast yeah. yeah yeah there was a couple of scenes that I thought were really felt a bit different and were very well written and there's the way that Sophie Thatcher's character is treated when she first goes back to school um and they're all like going sorry Sadie sorry Sadie and it's just like horrible because it's so insincere and you can feel how um just attached she feels at the moment so like there's that and there's a great scene with the dad where she tries to tell him how she feels and he's like you should talk to your therapist she's like I wanted to talk to you dad so like there were good moments but and I think the acting helped I mean Amon do you want to did any of the performances stand out to you or any dialogue scenes or anything like that. Yeah. The family dynamic, I think, was really, really well done. And Hannah is right in that it's not particularly fresh. Um, there's been a lot of recent stuff that we've seen um, that this film takes its... I wouldn't say it takes its cue from, but it's very similar to them on a thematic level. Uh, Smile comes to mind. Antlers comes to mind. Um, but I, th- I think it was done well enough that I really cared for this family and you really understood and are compelled by what they're going through. Um, so that, that worked for me. What didn't work for me is the friendship group. I use that term with inverted commas that Sawyer uh, is <laughs> in communication with. She's, she's friends with one other person in the group, but that person brings these other friends and they are just on the wrong side of uh, realistic or unrealistic. <laughs> it was very cliche. I know. I just think yeah. it was, but I, it's not, I just think like, I thought we'd got past the point of like bitchy frenemy kind of bullies situation. I thought we could yeah. have in this sort of movie, it would, it would be more refreshing for me if they could have written. It's like, that's the easy way. They want to get this person mm-hmm. into this situation. How do we do it? let's make them bitch it's like her mom literally just died fuck and like we're gonna just create these really cruel girls for this i don't know i felt like it would have been a lot better if they just ignored her if they were really cold with her i think that would have been i think you could have gotten a situation with that without having to do it that way and for me that's kind of like easy cliched lazy storytelling part of it where why don't we not do that why don't we not you know because i feel like so often there is like the bitchy bully girls um I don't know. It's like, and also if it's set present day, I kind of feel a bit like maybe we, the guy may have, maybe have a little bit more faith in Gen Z. 
But yeah, I don't know. We all watch Twenty One Jump Street. Remember, they're all nice now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's actually not cool to bully. But anyone. none of us watch the updated Heather's, so who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe it's, it's gone full circle and now it's cool to bully again. Yeah, yeah. It's not saying that art isn't bullying, but it just felt like it felt like oh, this is like she's already going through shit. Does she have to also go through that shit as well to like make Mm -hmm. it like make us feel more sorry for her? Like, no, (laughs) it's not, it's like not relatable because it's, it's a little unlikely that that specific type of meanness would happen when there's lots of other different types of meanness that I think would, would happen to someone. Yeah. In that situation. It's like that. Does that kind of explain it? It's less like I can believe a person like that. I just feel like, I don't believe that the best friend would have tolerated, especially when, like, I mean, maybe I have more faith in, like, teenage girls when people's mums have died, (laughs) but I feel like maybe they would be a bit like, hey, too soon, (laughs) you know? (laughs) To put it mildly. Uh, Give it a week, and then you can dunk her head in the toilet. Or maybe, you know what, maybe I'll like that. I just don't like that storytelling, and it didn't work for me, basically, but, you know... I just remembered uh, at a certain point in the film, I think both me and Hannah were like, yes, slap her again. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. says it all. <laughs> well, will we all be slapping that boogeyman when we go to the cinema to slap him? I don't know. Uh, we're going to do screen stream or skip on the boogeyman. Hannah, what, do you, what are you going to do? Um, I'd probably say stream. It's watchable, you know, it ticks the boxes, but like it's not, you know, breaking the boxes. I'm on. Hard to argue with that. Stream. I would also say stream. Maybe save it for Halloween when you you know, when you watch three million horror movies in one night, maybe with a little drinky drink. That's perfect. <laughs> this is perfect for that. <laughs> Well, from um, Boogie Man to FBI Man. (laughs) (laughs) They're kind of the same. It's reality. Look, you've had a good career. I don't think you're a big bad master spy. I think you just messed up. I think you might have been angry about what's going on. The Russians attacked our democracy and the, the election president's the campaign participated in it. They didn't attack. Reality. Were you surprised to see us today? Is this a real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. <laughs> Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil for me, for me, for me. You know what it reminds me of? The first trailer for Suicide Squad, which was genuinely phenomenal. <laughs> and then the film turned out to be absolute dog shit. But that piece, that trailer is a piece of art. Um, hey, Mom, uh, segues are my, my business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to let me get all of the action every now and then. That was a real swerve. <laughs> <laughs> like, it came to my mind, and I ran with it. Cool. 
Okay, well, let the little, little old man wear himself out. <laughs> okay. Oh, I just want to say beforehand, if you are the best experience, I will say is to go watch this movie without knowing anything about it. And then maybe you can mm-hmm. come back here to listen to our review. Um, so I've said that now. Feel free to leave. If not, here's the synopsis. On a Saturday afternoon in June 2017, 25-year-old reality winner is confronted at her Georgia home by the FBI. A cryptic conversation begins and reality's life quickly begins to unravel. What follows using dialogue taken directly from the FBI's transcripts of the investigation. Uh, So, directed by Tina Satter and adapted from her 2019 stage play, Is This a Room? Reality stars Sydney Sweeney, Rashad Davis and Josh Hamilton. Uh, so, as mentioned, best experience is to go in knowing nothing. Uh, Amon, did you know much about the film? Or even the I, story? I did not know much about the film. I did not know much about the story. I did not know about the play. I did not know about the original audio recording. Um, so, yeah, I went into this fairly cold. And I think, uh, for the most part, that enhanced my viewing of it. Um the first 20 minutes as they're feeling each other out, both the FBI and uh, reality, uh, is really, really intriguing up to a point. I did find myself at the tail end of that initial section really, really, really wanting to get to what the film was essentially about. But at the same time, there was a lot of really tense back and forth uh, that I felt, and it was interesting trying to figure out exactly what was going on as these two entities were bouncing off each other. Clarice, uh, do you concur? So I had like vaguely heard that this had happened, but I didn't really know anything about the reality of of who yeah. reality was. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but I I really loved this movie. I think this might end up being one of my favorite movies of the year. Um because there was something so moving and so powerful about trying to draw so directly from the transcripts to show that I think a lot of like Hollywood depictions of how the FBI acts are like really, I mean, sometimes very true to life, but you know, very dramatic and they're busting through the door and then they're like, tell me where the money is, bitch. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, like this is, this is the sort of, this is again, the reality <laughs> of it. <laughs> that, um authority figures and people like this can come in and be a hundred percent professional and you know seem quite kind in places and be careful and not hurt her in any way and yet the implications of what they're doing and the situation that she is put in throughout this interrogation are terrifying are profoundly terrifying and like really concerning to watch as a viewer and i was like I was in tears by the end of it because I was so struck by like how normal reality was. And I just like, I really related to her and I feel like I could be her friend and to see this woman go through this because of one like spur of the moment decision she took, um, which was a very like from a, from a 
kind and passionate and like wanting to do the right thing place and I also I think the right thing we can argue about that on a new show or whatever but mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah I think all of it just was so well crafted yeah tell the story sorry but... no no um I thought what was so profound about this uh is that it was verbatim FBI transcript um and you know there's certain kind of you know comic comic reprieves comic reliefs that you're like I can't believe that's actually in the script um you know there's a bit where a guy busts in and goes does anyone have a toothpick (laughs) it's just like so wild to me that that's like something that actually happened um but this also the I suppose what that comes with as, as the actors performing it is that they had to not only learn the lines but be able to deliver them with the same stutters the same repetition the same coughs the pauses all those things um and that is like some real stunning performance but also fill in the gaps because obviously it's just a transcript what was going on at a time what are they looking like and I think that was really beautifully rendered by Sydney Sweeney like I really could see the cogs whirring in her head when we kind of this slow release of information where she has no idea what's going on we get through quite 20 20 minutes 25 minutes of the film without them even mentioning what she's even being like investigated for you know um I'd love to know a little bit more about how you felt that um those performances but also how they work to tell a story but then also the other part of the craft work and how they have managed to you know lift this from you know what I imagine what the play was but actually using the cinematic language to kind of get into the interiority um and so we can learn about Sydney uh, reality who she is as a person as well as what we're seeing in this specific moment um Clarice I like one of the bits that got me really emotional was you know because it's sticking so close to the transcript there's this idea of objectivity in the film and I know objectivity in film is kind of a false concept um but there's this moment where like the lighting changes and we do see some cutaways to like her bedroom and like her notebooks and she's got like what did she have she had some like studio ghibli drawings in there like these really simple things that are things that like I have in my life <laughs> just dumb but it's like you know her her pink gel pens and her folders and all these like incredibly normal things and it's this subtle way without intruding into the narrative or having to change what's being said to remind us like that this reality is this very ordinary woman like she's an NSA interpreter she's not some high um ranking soldier or spy or anything she's someone who just worked in this uh office and had a moment where she just couldn't take it anymore um and I feel like every single person can relate to that that feeling of like if there comes a time in your life will you take a massive risk to do the right thing or I don't know we can debate what the right thing was but for me it was the right thing um and I thought that was so brilliantly done. Just this tiny, just this tiny little lighting change. And suddenly we're in her world and we understand her and we're seeing through her eyes. Um, oh yeah, I really like this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Mom, was there anything about the performances that stood out for you? 
just how amazing Sydney Sweeney was and her facial expressions in the sort of early part of the film. It's sort of like it's sort of like a cat and mouse game where everyone is standing still, <laughs> and it's just the dialogue um, that's really really tense as she's interrogated as she is sort of telling lies, but in a very what's the word I'm looking for? Not nonchalant way, but it's just it's very very subtle what she's doing, and I like how when the interrogation gets more intense, the way in which her facial muscles change as she just says, kind of in a very subtle way, as it, as it builds up, screw it, okay, they have me on this, this, and this. I need to start being a little bit more truthful now. I love how that progressed, essentially. Um, it's a very understated performance. It's a very understated performance, so she does it in a very subtle way. And I think the way she modulates that journey was, was very impressive. Mm. I also like, like Josh Hamilton, who was the dad in eighth grade. Um, oh my God. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I, was how, I was like, I've seen him in a role where I loved him dearly. What was it? Yeah. And that's that sort of like, Hey, I'm just like a normal guy, but also I can send you to jail for the rest of your life. And it's quite, but there's also moments of like levity that, and I'm so, and I love the fact that that was in the script or I hope it was, I hope, you know, they're very, I hope they've been very specific. There was all dialogue. Cause there's a bit where they move into this like white room, which is like, you know, awful interrogation room. It looks like something like out of Guantanamo, but this is literally like a fucking a room in her house. And a guy just like this a guy comes in, he goes, Do you have a toothpick? <laughs> like it's like something about a toothpick or something just coming in. It's like, oh cool, wow. Yeah, this is like again, the mundanity of it all. But it's like, you know, it's interesting they call it they describe it as a grueling interrogation. It doesn't feel like an interrogation in a cinematic sense of the what we what we assume an interrogation is like, and this is what's quite nefarious about it. It's menacing because it's so mundane. It's it's this like just normal people, no kind of clear heroes or villains, and actually it's a really non-judgmental approach because I don't think they're I don't think even the film is judging the FBI agents. I think it's like working out this is a scenario that's happened. Here's a bit more context about who this person is and why. And I think that's the kind of like, and then when you think about in the wider sense of she, the sentence that she gets. And also there's a note where she goes, I'm not Snowden. And that's a really interesting thing. Again, it's like, and you think about Snowden, that movie about whistleblowing is all very like Hollywood drama and kind of like a lot of like artistic flourishes on it. This one, it was like, there was artistic flourishes, but like not to the extent where it's tried to um, manipulate you to an overwhelming degree to try and make you think she's our hero. I mean, it feels like she's, you know, not a hero. She's just a person who tries to try to do the right thing. Well, also you, you get these really tiny moments with the FBI agents where certain like the the way that's that they'll stumble over words and they'll say certain things where so you get the sense maybe they they agree with her and that they are trying to think of a way that they could get out of this but also it's their job so they're just going to end up doing their job at the end of the day and that again adds to like what's so fucking scary about it is that people who don't even really want to be doing what they're doing still do what they do yeah. <laughs> like it's 
yeah, I, I really um, admire this film sticking to those audio transcripts and really not trying to impose um, like too much of a narrative on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause truth is truth is honestly sometimes like scarier than fiction. And I think that's what it truly grapples with. And mom, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap it up? Um, I like how in transferring this from stage to film, they added some interesting flourishes in that regard. When it gets to the redacted points, she sort of blinks out for a few seconds and then it goes back in. I thought that was uh, really, really effective. So there's there's little flourishes like that. They uh, have a couple of uh, news headlines at the very end, but also within the body of the film uh, to enhance the storytelling. Stuff like that, which I thought was very smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's always good when you have a play stage ad- adaptation that it's not just cut. It's not just a carbon copy. They're using the cinematic language to try and tell something, mm-hmm. and that you won't be able to use on stage. I'd love to see it on stage though, because also it feels staged in the mm-hmm. sense that it's one place, which is like you know, yeah, like keep it in a room. Um, okay, so this is out in uh, the UK uh, now in various, not in Brighton though. Sorry. Brighton. Sorry to Brighton. No, just found out. Alas. I'm very sad about that because I wanted to see it again. <laughs> uh, so it's stre- uh, screen, stream or skip, Clarice? Screen. This is, I, I really enjoyed Spider-Verse, but this is my favourite movie of the week. I loved it. Yeah, I agree. This is screen for me. Amon? It's not better than Spider-Verse, but it's a screen for me. <laughs> In your opinion, sir. <laughs> Well, speaking of Spider-Verse, it is time to circle back um, for our... Hot McGill is a snack. <laughs> is that our first? <laughs> he gave him such broad shoulders. He's a vampire. Like such a great... <laughs> they, knew what yeah, they, what? they knew what they I were doing. I feel like, do you not even know me, I'm on? Like... <laughs> Hot vampires are like my favorite thing, and therefore oh you're gonna give me you're gonna give me a Miguel, you're gonna give me an Oscar Isaac, you're gonna give me an Irish Latino uh, vampire Spider Man. Like, come on, that's one for the bank. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Anyways, that was a great hot take. <laughs> okay, well, I'm trying to think about where to start. Because, like, a lot of shit happened in that movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I guess the big thing is all the cameos, right? There are lots of different spider people. There was one that was a cowboy. I really liked that one. (laughs) Um, Do we think, I mean, I guess to take the more hot hot take angle of it, um, you know, we are in the age of superhero movies doing a bunch of cameos. There is one coming out soon <laughs> that is also supposedly doing that. Was this overload? Was this the right amount of Easter eggs and references? Like, how did we feel about that? I didn't mind it uh, that much. The only one I feel which was a little unnecessary. I mean, they're all unnecessary to the degree. But the whole trip to the Venomverse... Um, didn't really feel like it added that much. 
What um, part of the movie? What? We know the cut. Did you know? How did you, you're the Venom fan? You're the same. All the people to knock it. So basically, the the, the <laughs> Asian the, the Asian uh, bodega owner with the gum it even said Venom gum or something that she handed to. Her, but that's the Venom. Oh, when he goes there. maybe she looks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's the local bodega lady okay, in San Francisco. She's from Venom, yeah. but that's the first yeah. movie, right? No, she's in the one second, second one as well because Venom comes one. in. Okay, yeah. I'm really sorry. I'm a terrible Venom fan. Yeah, that I'm was saying, maybe give me your card. I didn't recognize your Venom it. card is revoked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe that was unnecessary because I didn't recognize it. Um, I mean, Hannah, how about what about your in general, not specifically Venom bus? I didn't think it was necessary, and this is the point about like bloated elements of it. I don't think we need to. I mean. There's the mention of the multi Doctor Strange multiverse of madness in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we get shots from the other Spider-Man movies, and a bit too much time on them. And I feel like this is this is what I mean about the bloatedness. It's kind of we didn't. I don't think that added really anything. It was just these kind of cameo Easter eggs. And it feels like there's enough Spider-Man you can have in it. Even like you know, I mean, maybe the one that I didn't mind as much was like the the Donna Glover Prowler. Um, but again, it just feels like what I like about the Spider-Verse is that it's so singular. It's that its own thing. And it just felt like this is doing the classic, let's try and link all these things up. Because now we get, I mean, I get they want Miles Morales probably to go into the MCU, but I, I think it takes away from the integrity of this film that it doesn't require those elements. And I think after the Spider-Man No Way Home mash up it's like you're not you're taking away the very distinct identity that this had and giving it to like generic things like guess and it just feels like that's a very sony felt like that's a very sony exec move (laughs) rather than the writers right i reckon it felt like oh well you know pascal's like yeah make sure you put that in let's do some promo to our other films blah blah blah. let's try and hope and yeah i don't know I, i didn't i didn't particularly need it at all I didn't need it, but I enjoyed a lot of the cameos, like the trip to the the Lego verse um, uh, for 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 that. But that's uh, not uh, that's not what I'm talking about, though. There's not a Spider-Man Lego movie, right? The Lego movie is a separate en- entity. I'm talking about ones that specifically reference MCU. So they had like a couple of shots of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man losing his Uncle Ben and the Tobey Maguire. Losing his uncle Ben. They mentioned multiverse of mag, mag multiverse of madness. Then they had Dan, yeah. Donald Glover as the prowler from Thingy. Like, and actually, they did have that big scene where he cries. They had quite a few references that felt like I don't think it was necessary for it. I enjoyed it, and I feel like I get to agree what you're saying in terms of Spider Verse as its own distinct thing, but by its very nature, Spider Verse. <laughs> It's meant to encompass everything to the degree. That's one of the reasons why I love uh, this film. It's not just about the Miles Morales of it all, even though he is the main focus. It's about all of Spider. It's about all of it's about what it means to be a Spider Man, not just for him, but for all of them. And so, for your uh, your Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, your even the spectacular Spider Man cartoon <laughs> to be included within that, I think it feels right for the story in which they're telling. And I, I enjoyed seeing those versions of the characters on screen. And again, it's, it's very, very brief. For me, 
especially the the the, the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield one, they don't linger on them. But they're for all. More than what three I'm seconds. saying is, it's like this. This trying to connect to the live action world. It doesn't need that. Like for me, what again? What makes the what makes this singular is that it, it doesn't require that any of the the first one didn't require any other people. From that, no, none of the voice actors from you know. I, I don't. I don't want Tom Holland voicing a character. I don't. This this idea that that we've got ever since like the start of the MCU that every single film has to connect. I don't think. I think it just makes it convoluted and it's boring. And it's like let this live, live on its own. That's what I mean. I feel like, it, and the fact that it's not just that it's the Venom, it's the Prowler. You know, m- mention the multiverse of madness. It's like again, I mean, get what they're trying to do. They obviously want Miles to go in there, but I would rather just have a Miles who's not part, who's not that Miles. Have a different Miles, so another actor can come in because Shamik Moore, like, you know, get get a new Afro Latina actor to come in to play Miles in live action. Not every, I just don't think every single film needs to connect to every single film. And I get it's the multiverse, but when you've already got the time variance authority and all these different things going on, it's like there's too much. And it just gets a bit, for me, it's just messy. And it feels like that is the, that is the studio success coming in saying, let's throw this in. I don't know. That's, that's my, that's, that's, that's my opinion, man. Yeah. I, I, in, in general, not a fan of those kinds of cameos, but for me, it was enough balanced out by like the fun things um, I loved that sequence with all the different spider people chasing him, and there was a cat and a T Rex, mm-hmm. and like this, that to me. Anytime any other like comic book movie has said we're doing a multiverse, like that's the oh, yeah. fucking bare minimum I expect as a T Rex, yeah, <laughs> it, as one of the characters and a cat, yeah. and one's like got a crazy arms and things yeah, i would want know? more of that that's what i mean it's like i want more of that stuff like that's yeah more fun they to could have me. been definitely more that, i mean i would love it if they had like superior spider-man in there like you know what i mean they could have had so many different iterations and it feels like that's the fun of it so like if you're gonna you know again the lego thing was really cool and like the fact it was like he's like our best one of our top agents <laughs> mm-hmm. but like yeah and i liked when they went into the 40s print yeah it's like that that stuff was all i think is so vastly superior to but i also i i agree it's probably the executives but also i think it's fan pressure because we do live in a culture now where people would have flipped their shit if there was no andrew garfield or toby Maguire in this series uh yes I feel like people are angry already at the other ones because they didn't have XYZ character that they wanted to appear appear. Um, and that's why John Krasinski had to be Mr. Fantastic because people were just like already decided it had to happen. Yeah. Um, but I I guess this leads us on to the, the ending. I mean, I'm try- struggling to formulate a question because I didn't really have strong feelings about it. <laughs> I really liked that Spider-Ham was back yeah. because Spider-Ham is my favorite and I really missed him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but are we excited for where this is going, this introduction of the other Miles in the Prowler suit? I mean, I, I knew that was that going to be the case and then five more minutes of the movie kept happening. <laughs> I 
didn't think they needed that. <laughs> I, again, didn't mind that because they're teeing up movie number three and they're teeing up Spider-Gwen's arc and by those extra five minutes is when we get Spider-Ham and Spider-Noir and the return of that OG I would band. never besmirch Spider-Noir. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I like that. I also just think that the, the, the cliffhanger is really, really well done. Like, they do such a good, clever job of hiding the information until they reveal it explicitly. Even though there's clues all the way through the film and even in the start of that scene where Miles uh, returns to what he thinks is his home and he talks to what he thinks is his Rio, the first thing that Rio says is, have you changed your hair? That's a dead giveaway, but I still still didn't click for me that he was in the wrong universe until he says, oh crap, I'm glitching, I'm in the wrong universe. I thought that was really, really cleverly done. Um, and it's going to be really, really intriguing. Like I feel like they've, in many ways, written themselves into a very exciting corner that I don't know... There are no easy answers in terms of the wider questions it's asking about the mythology, and there's no easy resolutions in terms of how is he going to get himself out of this mess. And my big hope for movie three is that they don't simplify that, that they find a way to answer those things without simplifying it. Because um, I think, it's, again, it's a very intriguing situation with no easy answers that Miles finds himself in right now. And that's great storytelling for me. If, spoilers for The Last of Us. Oh God, here we go. If Miles Morales pulls a John Miller, will you still be his number one biggest fan? Yes. Or will you stick to your principles that you laid out very clearly? Well, as I keep telling you, Clarice, context matters. Um, It's exactly the same context. It's really The fate of the universe is hinging on this person dying but the hero wants to save them because they have too much love for them and that overpowers i think like i just i don't think it's going to be that simple um but i I mean (laughs) I think you're deflecting because you don't want it to be that simple. <laughs> but I think it is that simple. I don't know. I think within... I don't know. What team are you on? Are you team Miguel or team Miles? Who, me? Should is... Yeah. I'm team Story. <laughs> team Story. <laughs> I, I, for That's me, fair. I have That's to fair. admit, I did find... I, 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 I mean... I, I get. I feel like you know. So what's the point? They're trying to just get. What are they trying to do? With, they just want to keep. Um, what's the point in that? I, again, I feel like there's so much going on. Sometimes I was struggling to kind of sometimes like keep up with a bit of it. But like, so Miles is the anomaly. They, so they want to keep him in yeah. this world, or then they want him to go back to his world. Like he can still exist. No, they. They, they just don't want him to save his dad him. because that's part of the plot yeah. for a Spider-Man. The dad needed to die because right. that's the part of every Spider-Man story. So they needed him to be in a different universe to stop that. Yeah, yeah. I'm team both of them doing what they feel that. they need to do because that's what they feel they need to do. I love it. And let the chips... You're the Switzerland. I am. I'm Geneva, baby. I'm the Geneva <laughs> Convention. I will say, I still don't quite understand the spot 
villain. And as I'm reading Spider Into the Spider Verse, which is the comic book version of this, and what's really cool about this is like when I saw the vampire bit come up with Miguel, I was like, "Oh, vampire!" Because this is basically the storyline is that these energy vampires basically feed on spiders the spider totems in each world which is basically spider-man so it's like them teaming up Ooh. with like otto octavius's superior spider-man so basically superior spider-man is when like dr octavius kills 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 peter in commas and takes over his body and it becomes a superior spider-man but he's like quite brutal and then you get into the like things like do we murder some of the spider-men in some worlds molder people and all this and you get like silk so i'm waiting for like silk to show up like all these different things and for me that was a kind oh of- i know who that is cindy moon yeah yeah, yeah. so like for me like that is having like a key villain and like that being like, okay, they're all trying to work together, but they all have different motivations to do it. Whereas this is a bit too kind of like, too much like Loki in the sense of like the variants and we've got to maintain the timelines and maintain this. And I felt like, yeah, I don't know if I was, I think that's the strongest way to have told this story. Um, but the spot, so his motivation is just that he wants to like be a nemesis to thingy and he just wants to get more powerful so he can what? Or get revenge. I think he just wants to kill Miles because... But he kind of just goes away and then suddenly now it becomes like, oh, wait, now the actual thing. So what's going on was... I, I Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot going on. A lot on this I think he was trying to, like, suck up power, right? I, he was trying to get... Yeah. I would have preferred he, he it. He wasn't powerful yeah. enough to kill him, so he was trying I, to get all the power. I wish that they'd had tied up that storyline, storyline with the spot, so that we could go into it so there's actually... Okay, now this is the confrontation this is this civil war right <laughs> between the spiders and that's what we were going into with the next film i feel like that because there's two double mm. elements here going on it felt like i would have liked that resolve so, something resolved in that sense at the end of this film i didn't mind that because because you're a, you're a shill for spiders <laughs> Not entirely untrue, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't mind that because what the spot's ultimate plan is, because not only does Miles get a glimpse into his future, the spot does at the same time. And that future, we can say this is for the section, is um, the spot killing Miles' father, who's just become captain. So that feels very intrinsic to what the part of the plot of movie three is going to be. So it wouldn't have made sense for me to resolve that here. It all feels of a piece of the larger story. So that didn't bother me. I wasn't, I'm kind of in the middle because I wasn't overly bothered, but I do feel like I didn't fully understand what Miguel's deal was, why he was so mad. I do. (laughs) And because... If Spider-Man, if Miles disrupts uh, a canon event, then that could lead to the end of his universe. And if, if if you stop enough canon events, then that could lead to the end of everything. That was sort of... But there's definitely something else, because he's, like, really mad about it. And it's connected to his going to see his family, for sure. I 100% and he agree. And being a vampire, and I... To fully understand the stakes, I think I needed not the full story. I needed one more piece of motivation for me to go. 
okay, this really feels yeah. like a strong divide where I have to choose between these two individuals who, but, you know, it's like, how am I meant to be judge and jury when I don't have the facts, yeah. you know? I I mean, the end of the universe is strong motivation for me at this point, although I do agree with you that there's more to it because there's even that line which feels very deliberate that Gwen has sort of uh, late on in the film, which is do you know what really happens if you disrupt the canon event? And the response is not definitive in any way, shape or form. It feels like there is something that Miguel, Miguel is holding out on. So I definitely agree. But for right now, with the information we have, the end of the universe, if you look at it just from what his explanation is, that's pretty powerful motivation on his side to maybe Miles, don't, don't do that. And also if you do, if you were to do this, like, and, and this again, this is, this is why it's so interesting to me. You, you, you're hitting on what it means to be Spider-Man, and what it means to be Spider-Man to a degree is pain, is loss, is trials that you have to go through in order to push you to a new level. We even saw that in No Way Home with Miles Mor- with, um, with with that uh, Peter Parker, Tom Holland Peter Parker, and how that movie ends, and 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 what he has to go through without May in that film. And that to me is again very very interesting. You're getting into the heart of what it means to be Spider-Man and all the good and bad that comes with that. Um, I find that to be very intriguing. Again, th- th- there are no easy answers. So I, to circle back to your question with regards to that, I do hope that Miles at least tries to do both. I think Spider-Man as a character is a guy who always tries to do that. Um, whether or not it comes off, we shall see. I just um, think he's going to kill his dad himself. I just oh, think boy. Harley Quinn, the animated series, did it far more um, efficiently with this sort of plot line in the episode, in one of the episodes of Late in Seasons, where she tries to go save um, uh, Bruce Wayne's parents, which is basically the same. It's basically the same storyline, right? Have you I seen it? Seen where like she tries to go back. Of the one where she goes inside her own head. She goes inside the head. No, but she goes inside like I think it's Bruce's like head, and she basically is trying to make him oh, not sad and like get over it. And it's like, oh, he needs his parents to die, or he won't. <laughs> basically, he's like latch onto this thing. And it's the idea that or, you need um, you need that can you need that event for you to be able to like for him to be who he is. make us who we are. Right. So Teen and I think Titans go to the movies. You remember where they had to go back and kill. <laughs> Yeah, so this is what I mean. It's like again, I think I agree with what you're saying there, Clarice. I do feel like again, this is the problem when you have so much going on at once, and you're trying to serve so many different beasts, and you're spinning so many plates. That I think, and in a film that is quite exposition heavy, I think sometimes it wasn't coherent enough to kind of give things like, you know, because it's really funny as well. And sometimes I'm like. Yeah, I so much going on, so many things happening really quickly that it can felt sometimes it's quite hard to keep up and understand exactly what's um, beyond that. Also, like I don't know, like even like I, I don't know, maybe it'd be pernickety, but like has the, I didn't call it a canon event. So is this that kind of real meta narrative as well that like they all know they're in a cartoon or like a because canon is such a specific <laughs> comic book term as well is that are we the is is it was it that meta in, in i don't know i can't remember i've got a headache I, 
I understood that the universe, I just, I needed them to tell me why Miguel was head of the Spider-Man because I just took it because he was the hottest and that's probably not the reason. <laughs> probably not the reason he's the head of the Spider-Society. Because he had the idea. Give me an explanation also, so I had to make it up myself. If, 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 if Miles is an anomaly, right, because he mm-hmm. can get, then, then like, so you're saying it's the Spider-Man canon rather than because isn't he also also he's like ruined a canon event by not having Peter Parker be bit by a spider? Yes. So the world hasn't ended. Yeah, no. He's saying that I think there's a line: if you disrupt enough canon events, then the world goes to right. And, okay, and so why can't he just save to, his dad and just like, everyone else can do what the fuck they want? Because if you save, if Miles saves his dad, then that could lead to the end of his universe. Is how I understand it. But why specifically to the end of the yeah. universe? And also, I kind of feel like it's like the final destination where it's like you can you might be able to cheat death once, but it comes back around to you. And like again, it's like that's idea about the web, like the big web. And I'm sure we'll get into it with Madden Web as well when that comes around, if that comes around. But like it's like fate. Like, do we have a choice? Like, is it fate or can we make our own paths? And I don't know. There's just, I think she was in the movie, right? There was a a woman who was in a wheelchair and she had yeah, yeah. legs. That's Madame Webb, right? Uh, yeah, it might but, be. Yeah. Who knows? I know things. I spot things. Maybe it's because I've seen it a couple of times, but a lot of these things felt explained to me. Like they have um, a line. Maybe I need to watch it twice, like you. They they have a line uh, when, as they're in the midst of doing all this big exposition scene. If you remember after that India sequence, there's a team of spider people that come with a whole bunch of equipment uh, to try and mitigate all the uh, multiversal damage that has happened because so Miles disrupted the canon event. And the spider variants. <laughs> and Miguel has a line, sometimes we're able to stop it and mitigate the damage and sometimes we're not. And when they're not, that leads to the end of the universe because it overtakes everything. Um, so they they do have, for me at least, explanations dotted in and around there. And I, as as Clarice alluded to, I think there's definitely more to the story, especially as it pertains to Miguel. But for right now, I was satisfied with the information that we got. It also annoyed me sometimes where they would flash up the 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 kind of character names, but it was so quick that I couldn't read it. To go, dun, 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 and it was like, yeah. give me a little time to read the character names. It went so quickly, and I think sometimes that who is Malala Windsor? I think they she just a character. She's, I think I they just it. made that one up. They just made her up. Yeah. Well, it's obviously based on like Malala, right? Isn't it? I maybe. Well, she's wearing a hijab, right? They so. didn't give me enough time to. I, mean, I guess, but there's yeah. lots of lots of people called Malala. There's <laughs> a lot. Know. There's a lot to take in uh, for sure. And I'm looking forward to watching this uh, on streaming so that I can slow it down and pause and really take everything in. But I'd rather have that abundance of information and information and creativity to absorb rather than the opposite. You're um, so, you're, like, it's so funny you say this because you're like anti-exposition. You get really annoyed about exposition. So it's interesting to me that like in this one, that you're like, exposition, yes, love it. And it's not like they do it in inventive ways because it's always the same way that they do it. You got annoyed with the exposition in Little Mermaid because she was talking to a thingy, right? And then it's like this mm-hmm. one, it's like, here's the thing, it's like, I thought, I just find it, I mean, look, 
you've got a bias, of course, but it's interesting. And even like, you got annoyed at the cliffhanger ending of Fast 10. <laughs> and it's like, this one, I'm satisfied with this one. <laughs> I mean, if we're comparing movies, I feel like the cliffhanger uh, in Fast 10 was just lazy to me and not really as creative and interesting as where they leave it in this movie. Uh, what was the other thing you were saying about exposition? Exposition. I'm not anti-exposition. I'm anti-boring, lazy exposition. And I feel like with this one, there was enough going on for me visually um, and with how it fit into the wider story that I was, I didn't, it was exposition that didn't feel like exposition to me at any point. Oh, it felt well, and, very and 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 the, and the one that you mentioned to me, Little Mermaid. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because I've seen the animated film, but yeah, I think even if I hadn't, it's just like at no point like, she could have come in later on in the film as it is in the original, and it would not have made it. You could take those two scenes out, and it would not change the movie, and I still understand everything. I can't say that about any of the exposition scenes in this movie. I don't I even remember. I mean, I kind of wish I saw The Little Mermaid when you watch it now, because I honestly didn't mm. find it that offensive, like her talking to her eels and herself. That feels very in keeping with The Little Mermaid, the film, right? She does that a lot. And she does a little kind of watching with the ball, with their little, like, see-through thing. Anyway, I'm just saying there was a lot of exposition in this, and you have a lot to say about exposition. You expositionize about exposition quite voraciously <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> But I get it. So you you thought the film was okay? Just to clarify, it was I. It was I. It's I. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think what else was like spoilery chat that we could talk about in this. What else did they? What else did they throw in? Um, did, I don't. I only cared about Spider Ham, so I'm sorry I can't contribute much yeah. to this conversation. I guess. I guess John Mulaney was in rehab. <laughs> What about Nicolas Cage, though? He's around. Why wasn't yeah. Spider-Man yeah, I'm sure him. we're going to get him in due time. I, I I, I just like that no matter what the universe is, there's one constant, and that is that J.K. Simmons will voice J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. Uh, that was that yeah. was cool to me. Uh, I enjoyed that. Who did Jack Quaid voice? Because it in? doesn't say anywhere. Yeah, he was <laughs> in the credits. I feel like he was probably Lego, yeah. Spidey. Because that kind of sounded like him, but I'm really bad with voices. Um, I, that's my one biggest complaint. The credits were too fast, and I did not have time to read who voiced who. They should have done it yeah. really slowly and given me time to write down who everybody was. I'm surprised it's taken us this long to hit on this, but older Peter has a baby. Jake Johnson's Peter has a baby. Yeah. And that was very, very cute. Um, <laughs> who voices the baby? I don't know. I was <laughs> in, the, in, the spider, in the Spider-Verse comic books, so that one of the Peters has a kid with MJ, has Mayday, who becomes a Spider-Man, and there's also Ben, and like their younger baby Ben, and Ben is like one of the key, the keys to this thingy, and they get killed. Her parents get killed, and she goes mad. Yeah, it was good. She oh, goes, you could yeah. say that it was a canon event. I really recommend. <laughs> I really recommend the Spider-Verse comic book. It's actually very good. I've had very mixed things about it. Uh, you tell me it's very good. Others tell me it is very much not. No uh, so I guess I have to make up my own mind. Um, but yeah, I just, I love the story, you know, Miles and Gwen, uh, to a degree, they are trying to find acceptance within this band 
uh, and they've taken sort of alternate paths, of course, to get to this binary society. Um, but what I liked, and this is very much to a degree inspired by Spider-Punk, Hobie Brown. Yes, it's cool to be a part of a band, but if you don't sort of, if you're not about what their overall beliefs are, don't be afraid to do your own thing. Don't sacrifice your independence and your individuality and know when to flex that. And I thought that was a really nice lesson, which was very well communicated. I liked it when he went, when you left your jumper at mine, he's like, what's a jumper? It's a sweater. <laughs> sweater. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. represented by jumper. <laughs> yeah, no, Hobie Brown, I would watch a spin-off with him tomorrow. Easily. Um, he's really, really good. So, yeah. If you could add for one more question before you wrap up, quick answers. If you could add one more Spider-Man to Spider-Verse, what would you add? <laughs> Ooh. A silk eyes, probably, I suppose. That'd be cool. That's a good choice, because I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> one Spider-Man I did not see was the 90 Spider-Man. And as that, that's the Spider-Man that I grew up with. The doom, 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 doom. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. That's the theme song. Um, I did not see him uh, about, so maybe room for him in Beyond the Spider-Verse. Who knows? All the Spider-Mans I know about are in that movie, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to contribute. Insomniac Spider-Man, it's good to see him. Um, the game yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> you know who's missing? Moon Knight. I put Moon Knight in it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense, Thanks but okay. Kidding. Is Marvel <laughs> Spider Spider Moon? Thanks for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is safest for you. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It makes a difference. And tweet us any questions or hot takes at Fade to Black Pod on Twitter. I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery uh, on Instagram and um, India. I think Dash Stoker on PlayStation if you want to come play Fortnite with me because they added all the Spider-Verse stuff so you can play as Super Hench Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> Gosh, Super Super Hench Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> I made my um, triumphant return to TikTok uh, today. So you can follow yes. me on TikTok at Hannah and S. Flint. Same for Instagram. Twitter, just leave it. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> it's dead to me. Just work and that's it. Don't talk to me there. Just look at my reels. And thirsty photos on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Mm-hmm.